Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And we have a great show today. The Knicks are getting ready to come out of the All-Star break. There's a lot going on going forward, Gavin. Kemba Walker just got benched. And we are going to ask three big questions for the Knicks going through the end of the season. Can R.J. Barrett find some consistency down the stretch and solidify who he's turned into as a player? What will Kemba Walker's benching mean for the Knicks' young guns? And will Julius Randle finish the season hot? All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys, as always, for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. Whether you're checking us out uh, on your favorite podcast platform, just listening, or if you're checking us out on YouTube and seeing our beautiful smiling faces, just know that we appreciate you and and appreciate you always making us part of your day. Uh, We are... At, well, I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks Site, the Strickland. We've become one being... Yeah, we're, we're we are Venom. Um, he's he is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster, and we are asking three big questions today. Uh, and the first question relates to one R.J. Barrett, and it's can R.J. solidify the gains that he has made? Uh, Gavin, we we noted in the our document here. He's averaging 23 points per game in 2022, so through January and February, on 43% from the field, 38% from three, 68% from the free throw line. And you pulled some other pretty interesting stats as far as RJ was concerned uh, to help the the case for just how good he's been this year so far. Yeah, so, well, I think I think it's been sort of a mixed bag, right, in, in 2022 because we've seen the jump in his scoring – Obviously, the three-point shooting, which was pretty disastrous over the first couple months of the season, has shot way up, and he's essentially the same shooter he was a year ago, which was a revelation and a game-changer and something that completely altered his trajectory as a player. Um, And the most significant difference for RJ is he's getting to the rim with an insane amount of frequency. The biggest remaining issue is he's still not a great finisher once he gets there. So the stat via the Athletics, Fred Katz, of the 28 players in the NBA taking at least five shots per game in the restricted area, he's 27th in field goal percentage. Alex, you pulled some good stuff from cleaning the glass. He is in the 25th percentile um, in rim finishing among wings. Um, He's also in the 16th percentile overall in effective field goal percentage. Obviously, that's not taking into account his upturn in efficiency. That's including uh, what he was doing for most of the year, which was not very efficient in any spot. As far as his three-point shooting goes, um, he's been pretty fantastic on non-quarter corner threes. He's shooting 36%, 72nd percentile. I assume if you filtered those numbers only for 2022, um, they would look even better. 
Um, but he's only in the 10th percentile in corner three, shooting just 31% from there. And I think that tracks with what we've seen from him throughout his career. There's something about his form that doesn't really lend itself to corner shots. I think it, it's kind of the way he has his platform um, and his arm maybe not being perfectly aligned. I don't know. We need to get a shot doctor on to go over that. But the point is RJ is basically taking the diet of shots that you want. He is getting to the spots on the court that you want. He just has to continue to be more efficient. And Alex, even his free throw shooting is a really big part of that because as you're about to note, he's gotten to the line quite a bit. He just has to be better once he gets there. Yeah, so the I think that the main thing with RJ is that we should understand that there are probably going to be growing pains uh, going through the end of this year, right? Like he has managed to get a lot better in, in the year of 2022, but we saw in the early part of February that things were, uh, you know, his efficiency dipped a little bit. So I'll get into a few other numbers here. So like from October to December this year, um, his, this will be a, a key stat to me. I think his assisted field goal percentage was between 58 and 60%. That means that on, for all the shots that he was making through the first, three months of the year he was being a 68 to 60 percent of them uh and in january that went down to 54.8 percent so almost five percent more or actually uh, well i guess depending on which month you're talking about but almost five percent more of the time uh he was creating his own looks rather than having them created by someone else in February, that number, and I mean, granted, this is in a, a small sample size, obviously, because he, he got hurt uh, earlier this month. But in February, in the sample that we got, uh, he was taking or he was assisted on 51.4% of his shots, which is a, a lot lower. I mean, that's now you're talking he almost 10% more of the time he's creating his own looks versus at some points earlier in this season. So that's, that's a really big difference. Um, and, and like, so I, I think that he's generating his own looks more now, and that's going to be the MO going forward to start seeing how RJ can operate as this, like sort of number one option, despite how well Julius Randall's playing, which we'll talk more about later. But, um, you know, if it works, it's going to, it's going to put RJ in a pretty elite class as far as wings go. Cause even with his, current full season average of 57% um, assisted for the year that still puts him in the 84th percentile for wings, according to cleaning the glass. So I don't have the number in front of me for what the the total percentile is that like a 51% number would put him in, or even like, let's say a 53, 54%, but it's probably in the top 10% of wings in the league as far as individual shot creation. Um, uncoincidentally too, his shooting numbers were down a bit in February though, from January as he took more of his own creation load. So that's what I'm talking about with the growing pains. He went from, uh, or he shot 39.3% overall and 37% from three in February after shooting, uh, quite a bit better than that in January. I think he shot around 45%. I didn't write that number down for some reason. Uh, but if he comes back, he continues to be a focal point down the stretch there's probably going to be some times where he's inefficient. That said, as you as you noted, um, it, the important thing is going to be that he keeps getting to the free throw line. Uh, so in just January and February, RJ took 119 free throws in 19 games. In October through December, so the three months prior, 
he took just 104 free throws in 29 games. So I, I think that's going to be the big differentiator here. I think you can live with the inefficiency uh, of his overall field goal percentage and all that if he's able to keep getting to the line as much as he has been recently, which, you know, it, it, as long as he can keep shooting in that 70-plus uh, percent range from the free throw line, I think that those are still very worth it. Uh, of course, you would prefer if he could – get his free throw percentage up around like 75 to 80%. But like with all the improvements that he's made, it seems like the free throws are still the one thing that's very mercurial with him that he can't quite nail down. But yeah, I think that's going to be a really important thing for him going forward is to continue getting to the line. But Gavin, if you were going to like pick out one thing, you know, for RJ to do to, to keep things going, or even just like, is there like a benchmark you're looking for or, or just, something general that you can't put a number to uh, for RJ through the rest of the season? Like what, what do you think the goal should be for him uh, through these final, however many games to end the year? Well, the, the first thing that concerns me was that, I mean, there was, there was a quote from RJ that he's still having pain in his ankle, but he's going to play on Friday. So I think my biggest fear is that he plays at less than a hundred percent because Tibbs and, and the Knicks seem to still have this misguided idea that the playoffs are feasible, even though both ESPN and basketball reference give them less than a 2% chance of making the postseason. Um, so I think any notion of him playing at less than 100%, that, that's the scariest thing to me because we that's I, apparently what we were seeing the first two months of the season where he was dealing with those stomach issues and he was horrifically inefficient. And I, I think it sort of set back his whole year. So the biggest thing is, as I hope he's at 100% health if he's playing. And then I think the other big thing is just the lineups around him. I mean, we're, we're going to get into it in a sec, but he's consistently better when he plays with more spacing and when he plays with guys who bring a little bit more energy to the table. So I'd like to continue to see him uh, be the fulcrum of some bench units. And of course, you're going to have to do some alterations if, if you want to do that with any kind of consistency, right? Maybe it means uh, Quentin Grimes comes in a little bit earlier with the starters or you're playing, I mean, God forbid, Obi Toppin as a small ball five um, with the bench, but him playing with more shooting, more pace, more energy. I think anything to open up the floor and just make those looks around the basket that much easier for him. And, and then the final thing, and this has always been the thing for me with R.J. Barrett, it's continuing to calibrate his shot selection. I mean, I noted that I really think he was taking the right shots uh, over the last month or two months when his efficiency has taken an upturn. But I think he can lean even further into that. And if he's not comfortable taking those little like four or five foot push shots, which on nights when he's hot seem to go in, but most of the time seem kind of off, he doesn't have to make them a central part of his game, especially with the way Julius Randle is playing right now. There's no need for him to ever force anything. I think he should genuinely just take what is given and I, he can be a 20-point scorer that way because he, we've seen it. He's found ways to make himself a central figure in this Knicks offense. And I think having no Kemba Walker in there will be extremely clarifying in that that's one less sort of like, quote-unquote, alpha mouth to feed that he's been deferring to for a lot of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that that's going to be the big thing is just, uh, first off, you know, I agree with you on the health. He needs to yeah. be healthy. You know, I if this season has taught us one thing, it's that, you know, when RJ was sick with whatever it was, you know, we keep calling it the month long stomach bug, but like, we're not actually sure what he was sick with or whatever, but he's alluded to that. He, he really was not in a good way earlier this season. And we saw, you know, when RJ's not at a hundred percent, go figure, he doesn't play at a hundred percent. And so I wouldn't want to see him come back 
too early from the ankle and then potentially re-sprain it again. I mean, we've sort of seen the same thing happening with Mitchell Robinson to a degree where he keeps coming back on this bum ankle and, you know, re-spraining it every other game and, you know, then hobbling up and down the court for five-minute stretches while Tibbs refuses to take him out until then he comes out finally and, and has to get treatment on it or whatever. So I don't want to see that happen to RJ because you don't want to have him develop a trick ankle this year or something. That would just not be great for him going forward for a guy who's only 21 years old. Um, but as far as his usage and stuff, yeah, I, I think they need to keep exploring this this uh, power structure, I guess, where RJ is sort of the, the alpha scorer and Julius is the supporting guy. You know, I know that Julius really closed out the, the you know, final stretch before the all-star break strong as far as his own personal scoring and and generating offense for the team and stuff. And there's no reason that he can't do that going forward. But I really liked the version of this team where RJ was sort of considered the first scoring option. And then Julius was like in part a distraction. But then once RJ really got going, then that meant less double teams for Julius too, which led to more efficient outings for him scoring the ball. And we were seeing all these games where like RJ and Julius were scoring like 25 points each or sometimes both over 30 in a game and, and that relationship worked really well. So I want to see that hopefully keep blooming here. Uh, but Gavin, if people wanted to bet on uh, RJ Barrett and, you know, maybe some stats for him going down the stretch of the season and, and uh, you know, things like that, where would they go to do that? It's only one place, Alex. It's bet online. Football might be over this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, total player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage and information you so desire. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, Alex, I was going to quickly say my, my final point on all that. I think RJ can be the number one option and Julius can be the leading scorer. Both those things can be true. I think what RJ, like the role he plays in the half court is more important than who takes more shots and who scores more points. And I think that's the direction the Knicks are going. I think it's the direction the Knicks will continue to go down the stretch. And I think it is good for RJ. And I think it's, I think it's good for Julius. Um, but moving on to our next big question. What does Kemba Walker's benching mean for Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, and Cam Reddish? So, Alex, I'll, I'll let you pick which of these three guys you want to start with. All have very interesting dynamics, right? Cam Reddish um, maybe the guy that there's the most urgency to see something from, given that the Knicks traded a first-round pick from him for him. excuse me. And there's a world where even with Kemba Walker out, he is no longer in the rotation, and maybe it's the most likely world that we get. For Emmanuel, quickly, he shot horrifically over the last 18 games. Of course, his best game of that stretch came in his last performance against the Brooklyn Nets. So maybe a, a bit of a turning of the corner for him. And Obi Toppin, we've seen uh, for, I mean, a year plus now that he is fantastic when he plays with Derrick Rose. And when he doesn't play with Derrick Rose, um, there is there is a little inconsistency there. So which of those three guys uh, do you want to start off with in this conversation? I think I'd like to talk Cam Reddish first. I mean, so... You noted, you know, he's in our in our prep here that he, you know, he forced his way out of Atlanta wanting a bigger role. And they sent him to New York where he's now found a much smaller role. 
but he is eligible for a rookie extension this offseason, just like R.J. Barrett, where you know I feel pretty confident the Knicks are going to extend R.J. this offseason because I think they've seen enough to say, yes, we want to commit to this guy going forward. If Tibbs doesn't change how much he's willing to play Cam Reddish, the Knicks are definitely not going to be able to make that sort of decision around him. And then you're committing to him hitting restricted free agency next year. You might have to match an offer coming from some other team. And, and, you know, you need to know what you've gotten him. So I hope that the back half of this, this season, or I say half, it's not even a half, the back third or so of the season is, you know, featuring a lot of Cam Reddish, because I think that you really need to see, what you have in him given the cost you gave up to to get him which we've said a million times like th- they hadn't the Knicks hadn't spent a first round pick in 7 years i mean since the Phil Jackson era since before that i should say they had not sent an outgoing first round pick in a trade and Cam Reddish was the first one that they did uh since then so you know, it, it, they need to start figuring things out with him and, and figuring out what they have. Um, you know, I, I the the biggest issue, unfortunately, is just like what is the rotation going to look like? And and Gavin, you sort of tried to build that out a little bit, which sort of informs everything with this. But you know, I I think that unfortunately, when you start spelling things out and trying to figure out where Tibbs's mind might go, it seems pretty obvious the Reddish might not have a role here going through the end of the year. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that that's a palatable option for the front office. I mean, given where the Knicks are at going into this break and how it felt like it, none of us would have been shocked if we got the the Woj bomb that Tibbs had been fired over All-Star break. I'm sort of surprised he still has the power and autonomy to say, hey, we are, we are going for the play-in. And I can only assume that the Knicks front office is on board with that, even though, I mean, I noted in the first segment, it seems like that is not a realistic option, or at least it's not a realistic option that they will both reach the play-in and get out of the play-in to get to the playoffs. And even if they do so, the reward at the end of that is is a sweep against the Heat or whoever they end up playing. I mean, I, I just, I don't really understand the logic when, when you devoted a significant asset to Cam Reddish. And I guess in Tibbs' defense, Cam has been pretty awful as a Nick, right? Five points, one rebound, one steal per game, shooting, this is the bigger issue, 32% from the field, 19% from three, but I can't help but think that's a guy who is just struggling to find his rhythm because as a Hawk, he was shooting 40% from the field and more importantly, 38% from three on just under five attempts per game. This is a guy who's been a fantastic three-point shooter all year. His free throw numbers this entire season have been over 90%, indicating someone with a whole lot of shooting talent, but you got to give him 20 minutes for that to come out. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Cam Reddish defender. He's, he's certainly made some mistakes. He's made some frustrating plays. But I, for the most part, I really like the way he's played defensively. He's gotten into passing lanes. He's made uh, sort of those flash plays that the Knicks have been missing with Nerlens Noel out for the, uh, essentially out for this season. And then offensively, I think, he's, I think he's been smart. And I think he's been aggressive for the most part. Sure, like there's one or two shots every game that you'd want back that look really, really ugly. But his ability to win off the dribble at his size with his fluidity, it, it's unique on this Knicks team. R.J. Barrett is the closest that the Knicks come to replicating it. it. It's certainly not a quality that's available on the bench unit. And like Emmanuel Quickly, like Obi Toppin, I'd love to see him get some time with Derrick Rose because I think Rose is essentially like a force multiplier for all these young guys. He can turn an inefficient young player efficient, and the Knicks owe it to themselves with the investment they made in Cam Reddish 
to see what they have. You can always push it off to next season, but I don't know what's going to change next season when you have a clean slate. Tibbs is still going to say, well, Alec Burks and Evan Fournier today are the better players. Yeah, hopefully Tibbs just isn't the coach next year. <laughs> I think that's the the main hope at this point. Um, I'll, I'll let you take IQ. I'll just briefly note Obi here. You know, it's it's kind of bizarre to say how does Kemba's benching affect Obi? I guess in in some ways because you wouldn't think that that would that that would really change things. But I guess my main hope is just that that Kemba's benching signifies some sort of philosophical shift uh, in terms of what Tibbs is going to do going forward. You know, the first time around, it didn't really mean much. It just kind of meant starting out Burks a point guard and yeah. And, and to be clear, he came out and said today that seemingly said directly that Alec Burks will start a point guard still. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't know that it's going to be a complete philosophical shift to trying new things and whatever, but I, I'm still going to let my, my mind hope that that could happen. Um, and so I, I just kind of hope that Obi will get more playing time down the stretch. Uh, the, the one good thing is that he does get more time with Derrick Rose now. Uh, you noted Derrick Rose with Derrick Rose, Obi Toppin has a 115 offensive rating and a 97.9 defensive rating. That's a plus 17 per 100 possessions. Uh, I found a stat on cleaning the glass. Obi's in the 96th percentile in on-off differential Per cleaning the glass, the team is plus 13.9 points better with him on the court versus with him off. And according to cleaning the glass, he has, I mean, this is just an absurd stat. I doubt that this would really play out, but it just goes to show how much his impact has been. They, they anticipate that if he, uh, that he has a plus 34 expected wins added. Uh, assuming that he would play more time, which is just obscene. And, and, but I think really just underscores the fact that this guy should probably be playing more than 15 minutes a game. So if the Kemba benching means nothing else, I hope it maybe means that, uh, you know, that maybe guys like Obi could get more of a chance and maybe Tibbs could finally try something like Obi and Julius for extended runs and just see what it looks like and how it works as we, finish up the second year of Obi's four-year, you know, rookie contract and enter into a long-term deal with Julius Randle after this season, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to see what those two look like together considering the amount that the Knicks have invested in them. So, you know, here's hoping. But, Gavin, I'll let you take this segment home with uh, some IQ numbers and and some IQ analysis real quick. Yeah, so I got – I won't won't beat a dead horse because I talked about this a lot yesterday with – Kemba Walker um, with, with his uh, benching uh, or uh, leaving being announced. But um, despite IQ's inefficiency and over his last 18 games, that's 30% from the field, 20% from three. It has not been good. The Knicks are consistently a far better team when he's on the court. Um, depending on what site you look at, he is either 13 and a half points or 14 points uh, or a positive 13 and a half point or 14 point net rating per 100 possessions. That is the best mark on the team. So he he makes a substantial difference. And the Knicks have been a plus four all year when he is on the court uh, without Derrick Rose. So it's not just the Derrick Rose effect. When he's with Derrick Rose, though, which obviously the Knicks have that option going forward, um, they have a plus nine net rating. 
I would start Emmanuel quickly because the, the combination in particular of him and Mitchell Robinson and furthermore him, RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson have been a big plus for the Knicks all year. I mean, in, in just under 400 minutes with Mitch this season, 115 offensive rating, 103.4 um, defensive rating. If you look at the two-man combos with him and the other starters, the only one that has a negative is him and Julius Randle, which again, I wouldn't read too much into because Julius seems like a vastly different player now than he was earlier in the season. And it was interesting in Tibbs's press conference, um, he referenced the fact that Alec Burks, like the numbers indicate that uh, Alec Burks is the Knicks' best point guard with the starters, but those numbers are only true in the sense that we don't really have numbers of Emmanuel quickly as a starting point guard um, with Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. So I would advocate that that is worth seeing. Um, but regardless of that, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how he plays um, with Derek Rose back and just in general down the stretch, because Alex, I think you, you, you made this point and I think it's a really good one. He just seemed so in his head over the last 20 or so games. And I wonder if Rose sort of easing some of the creation burden, to be clear, he's been much improved as a passer this year and has turned into one of the better bench creators in the NBA um, or certainly in the certainly above average. There's a world where I think he becomes last season's Emmanuel quickly. And it's important that the Knicks know who he is, because if he's this guy, it's honestly he's, he's, he hasn't been that valuable of a player. Um, he's been valuable relative to the Knicks' sucky situation in the point guard spot. If he's who he is last year, he's like one of the more promising young bench guys in the NBA. And I think all of this, like this entire segment, the RJ segment, it, it's a fact-finding mission for the New York Knicks. You need to have a definitive idea of what you have on your roster going into this offseason. That's the only way you can accurately gauge trades, who you need in free agency, who you need in the draft. So I hope the Knicks aggressively pursue those facts and play the right guys. Um, but Alex, uh, before we get into our thoughts on Julius Randle and whether he can sustain down the stretch, where do you want to go if you want to sustain your car down the stretch? Yeah, I certainly have needed that lately, you know, and it, it's getting it. We just had some unseasonably warm weather. It would have been a great time to work on your car. But don't worry, March is around the corner. There's going to be, you know, more opportunities to get out there and work on your car. And this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. So if you decide that you want to Work on your car. No better place than that. And you know the drill with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's impossible for your chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why would you want to endure all that questioning and them ordering the parts that are going to make them the most money? You know, they, they work on commission. Like, they're trying to sell you the most expensive things so they can make more money. They're not really concerned with your pocketbook, but you should be concerned with yours. <laughs> and, you know, the, it's just a, overall not a great experience going to that auto parts store. You could go to rockauto.com. It's so much better. You save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? I would not recommend going to a car dealership to buy parts. You know, when you could just go to rockauto.com and, and not spend 30, 50, or 100% more. Rock Auto is also a family business. They've been serving do it yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer, not just for mechanics. You're going to get the same price as anybody else. And that is to say, you're going to get a very low price that will be very palatable and very manageable for you. So if you go to rockauto.com right now, you could see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to pick something up, right, Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. 
rockauto.com. All right, Gavin. So we're on to our final segment here. And we want to talk about Julius Randle. And the question that we're asking here is, can Julius Randle keep his recent hot stretch up? And how does that affect the plans with him going forward? So Randle, over his last seven games, I mean, he's back. He is back to last year's you know numbers, averaging 30 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists over his last seven. Uh, you noted he could play with pace, but he doesn't have to maintain his volume, which makes it more likely he can sustain into four quarters, uh, all four quarters, I should say, which is true. You know, there was definitely some times where it seemed like he was kind of burning out earlier this year, which was leading to the Knicks blowing some of those leads. I think as we already noted during the RJ bit, you know, if he can figure out a way to be sort of the the high-powered Robin, maybe maybe that's not even the right thing. Maybe if he and RJ, instead of looking for a Batman and Robin uh, way of doing things, can look for more of like a Wonder Twins way of doing things where they're both roughly equal and it, where they can find their own offense and sort of pass things off between them, you know, and prop each other up rather than having it be an either-or proposition. I think things could work out really well for them. Uh, going forward. But Gavin, where do you stand with Julius as far as, you know, what what could potentially be difference-making things for him down the stretch of this season? I think it's, I think his life is just going to get easier, right? Instead of having to, and again, no shots at Kemba, not his fault, but to sort of like, it feels like the Knicks have been like dragging around like like a marionette for like, a, like at least, at least recently, right? Like Kemba, he just kind of sits in the corner and like, doesn't do that much with occasional spurts of action. And Julius, despite that, like despite the past seven games, arguably being the nadir of the Kemba Walker experience, um, as we've noted, he's been ridiculously good. 30 points, 12 rebounds, six assists over that stretch, um, playing with uh, insane pace. And I would say single-handedly like dragging the Knicks team. Like RJ Barrett had this quote today, like, hey, we've been getting up by 20 in all these games. We've been doing something, right? That something has basically just been Julius Randle, right? Putting this team on his back. And, and dragging them to this lead and those leads. And as he gets tired, the lead dwindles and, and, and the offense devolves and it turns into him just operating at the high post and, and getting bad shots. And, and we go back to the Julius we've had most of the season, which has been a nightmare. And I think Derek Rose in particular being back and RJ Barrett, hopefully being back at full health, will take a lot of that load off him earlier in the game. And hopefully Tibbs is wise enough to say, Hey, if, if we just, if we play Julius, 32 minutes instead of 39 minutes, he is going to be fresher in the fourth quarter. We'll be able to keep some of that pace in the fourth quarter. And then the biggest question for the Knicks is, can they find answers in the half court when the game inevitably slows down? Because no matter how much energy Randall has, I mean, that's how basketball works. The game slows down as it gets into its closing moments. Um, And I, I think, again, just having a little bit more tertiary talent, hopefully playing guys with a little more activity in the half court, whether that's Emmanuel quickly, whether that's Obi top and with Julius Randall will make life easier for him. But Alex, I think um, Randall's play over this closing stretch will ultimately lead to some bigger questions for New York, because we were all aboard the trade Julius train. Um, the Knicks would have wisely countered saying, we're not going to trade this guy when his value is at his absolute lowest. If he keeps playing this way, his value will no longer be at its lowest. Like there's a chance that you could get, 
a De'Aaron Fox type of talent. Not necessarily not De'Aaron Fox in particular, given that the Kings traded for Sabonis, but someone at that level, um, or trade for another pick or package Randall with your pick to maybe, I don't know, move into like the top three of the draft. I'm interested to see if the Knicks still think he's a building block after this season, if he plays great. What's your take on that? I mean, I think it would be sort of the same take as it was at the end of last year, where yeah. I would just say, I think that he is a building block. You know, I still don't know if I would necessarily want him. I don't, I don't think he, I think this year has proven that particularly if he's not at his best, he can't be the number one option on a good team. Um, you know, because we've even seen some of these games where he and RJ are playing out of their minds. I mean, there's been games where they both had 30 points and they still lost the game. And, you know, you can chalk some of that up to coaching, obviously, to the lineups that the Knicks are using, to, you know, the fact that the offense stagnates, as you said, in the in the second half so often where they just start playing, you know, your turn, my turn on ISOs. And that just never works. And I, I don't understand why the Knicks keep going back to it. But, you know, I, I think that I would still feel pretty good about keeping Julius around. Like, I wouldn't be in a rush to trade him because the other thing is that the way that he's playing now is a lot more sustainable than the way he was playing last year, which last year he was making tons and tons of mid-range shots, um, which are not sustainable. And we've seen that this year where when you're not in an empty gym anymore, suddenly all those fallaway baseline, you know, mid-range shots stop going in at quite the same rate. Um, and, you know, he's, he's been taking less of those like face-up, mellow style, you know, possessions that end in a sidestep, you know, mid-ranger. And instead is trying to get to the line more and, and trying to get to the rim more. And that's really paying off. And and so is the playing with pace. So if he continues sort of being that engine of, you know, get the ball, get out and transition, find someone on the break, or just go up and finish it myself on the break, like play with pace in the half court even, you know, and, and try to get into your sets quicker and, and set things up faster. I, I don't see why, you know, the Knicks shouldn't keep him because – then you can still you still have enough young guys on the team that you can still make a trade for another player to hopefully without touching RJ Barrett, you know, be the third wheel of the, you know, RJ Barrett, uh, Julius Randle tandem there and, you know, maybe be the number one guy or at least be someone that compliments them so well that between those three, you get sort of that number one star impact. Uh, and the team can be good and, and grow together and, and everything else going forward. So I I guess that's my my overall takeaway. And and unfortunately, like what the Knicks really need to accomplish any of those goals is for Tibbs to embrace playing the younger guys, which, you know, it, if you want to make that trade for a star without touching RJ Barrett or Julius Randle, you need to make a good enough case for these younger guys that they can, you know, be included in a trade for someone much better you know, in the aggregate. And I don't know if the Knicks are going to find that before the soft season, if Tibbs continues going the way that he has. So ultimately, you know, we talk about all these things and, and, you know, what these players need to prove and whatever, but really Tibbs needs to take a reality check, which I don't think he's going to, that this team is not going to contend for anything this year. And instead, you know, play the, the younger players more, Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think that we're going to still probably be asking a lot of these same questions at the end of the year, which is not great because it's it's going to send the Knicks into an offseason with a lot more questions than answers, unfortunately. And I think 
my final note, at least, it's important to keep playing someone like Julius Randle, even if you want to bench Evan Fournier and Alec Burks, because for these young guys to develop, they can't be playing roles that they're not going to be playing at the peak of their talents. And I think Julius puts everyone in place, right? Even if he's an extremely imperfect number one option, he is a number one option. Um, and that lets RJ play off of someone. That lets Quentin Grimes play off of two people. That lets uh, Emmanuel quickly play off of three people, like on and on and on. Like you, you need you need that fulcrum to keep everyone efficient and to keep everyone playing their game. Because if not, you get a scenario where guys are sort of going outside of the bounds of, of what they should be doing. And someone like Cam Reddish, like, I mean, all of a sudden could be like, oh, wait, I am the number one guy all of a sudden. Like I'm taking 20 plus shots. So I think we, we are a lot of people, maybe not us, but go so far in the direction of like play the young guys, play the young guys, like bench Julius. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on board with Burks and Fournier. I think Julius, and, and again, this could this might be the conversation going into next year. If the Knicks don't make a big move in free agency, don't make a don't get a game changing talent in the draft, um, it'll be important to have Julius Randle on this roster to give everyone that relief and let them develop at their own pace. But uh, maybe a slightly somber note to end on. But hopefully, these questions get answered to some extent or another. We will see second half of the season coming up, and we're excited for you to take it in with us for Alex Wolf. I'm Gavin Shaw. This has been Locked on Knicks. Talk to you soon.